We are continuing our study in the Beatitudes, um, and I've kind of let the cat out of the bag already. We're going to be talking today about an interesting subject that probably is way more applicable than any of us uh, give it credit. We're talking about what it means to be a peacemaker. A few years ago, my family and I boarded a plane to go to California. It was at the beginning of February, and it was one of the coldest Februaries I've ever experienced here in Chicagoland area. In fact, it was in the middle of a snowstorm that we were gathering up our stuff and getting ready to go. The ride to the airport was, uh, <laughs> was, was a reminder to us of how grateful we were that we were no longer going to be in this area, but we're actually going to be in the sun for a little while. But you always have that problem in that when you're packing your stuff to go to a warm place and you have to wear all of those things to get you out of the cold place. You know that problem? So you put on your parka and your snow pants and all of those things and you, you think to yourself, what am I going to do with this? I'm not going to put it in my suitcase. Uh, but we did because there were so many of us. We had little children at the time, very small children at the time. Uh, we packed it all up and we wore you know, every, all these parkas and everything we needed. And it was brutal, it was brutal. I still can remember getting all of our stuff out and, uh, and getting ready to get on the plane and it was, it was brutally cold. Uh, we get on the plane and, and there's, of course, air on the plane, they kind of you know, temper it down so it's comfortable and then you step off in California and it's immediate relief. Uh, I think it was like 72, I don't remember the exact temperature, Beth, you would probably remember, but it was, you walk out and you feel the sun and you think to yourself, the sun has not gone away. It is in California. And we have come and we have found it. And, and, and it would be a normally nice day for you, except that you just asked for, we just came out of this blizzard into this warmth and we felt like we were dying because it was so hot. But it wasn't hot. It was just that we had not acclimated to the climate. The climate was so drastically different. So we go to our hotel room, we take off all of our parkas and our snow pants and all those, we weren't wearing snow pants, but you understand, we get all, all the heavy duty stuff and we put on the shorts. And then we go out and we enjoy the weather. And it took a little while, it always takes a little while to acclimate to the weather because you're thinking, oh, it's so hot because you're so used to how cold it was for so many months in Chicago. And then you go to the warmth and you're thinking how warm it is, your body acclimates to the temperature and then in a matter of days, you have to come home. So you get your stuff out, you pack all of your shorts and your t-shirts and all of that away, you get back out your parkas and your snow pants, you figure out how you're going to get on the plane and not sweat to death, right? So you put it all in your overhead compartment, whatever you need to do, or you risk it and you go with your shorts all the way home, right? And then you step out of the airport and it's like, oh, blistering change of climate. Getting off at O'Hare in the middle of February was shocking. When you're in a climate, you cannot help but experience it. And the shock sometimes is very, very difficult to get used to. Even when the weather changes, if a cold front hits a warm front, all of a sudden you have this shocking change. And sometimes you'll have like storms, sometimes you'll have lightning, sometimes you'll even have explosions like lightning and thunder takes place. And we're used to this kind of weather around here. This is, this is typical for us. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever observed how people create a climate around themselves? 
Have you ever noticed how some people, for some people, it's like this, this constant climate that they create around themselves, and it's obvious to everybody who's around them. There's three categories. Michael and I were thinking, talking through this, and we came up with three different categories that typically the climate that we create around ourselves. The first one is drama, right? Life is always a drama. There's always something going on. It's always bigger than life. And everything that happens is just like a major tragedy. It's like chicken little, the sky's always falling. Red lights are always the end of the, the day. I can't stand it anymore. There's, there's not enough needles on the haystack to blow it all to pieces. It's like everything is a major problem. Everything is a major to-do. Every failure is a crisis, and even in normal occurrences, they're blown up into something that sometimes they shouldn't be blown up into. Those are dramatic people, and that's the drama sometimes that people create around them. The second category I would say would be spectator. These are typical teenagers, all right? These are typical, and I I don't say that derogatory, I just say like this is what every parent doesn't want their teenager to be, but it's kind of like that apathy that teenagers are driven towards because everything sometimes is done for them and there's not a lot of drive sometimes. So we as parents go, no, you need more drive. You need to reach for it, work for it. Instead, you have a group of people that are very passive in their approach to life. They watch things happen around them. Nothing's really worth reaching for. They're always evaluating and always criticizing, but never participating. These are the spectators. They have a lot to say about stuff that's happening around them, but they rarely get involved and they rarely make a difference. And then the last people I would say are the peace people. This is the climate that people typically have around them that could be identified mostly by peace. They have a regulated approach to life. They try and find common ground, common understanding between people. And keep in mind, nobody's any one of these things all the time. I think that would be very difficult to be one of these things all the time. But for the most part, when you walk into somebody's climate, this, the, one of these things is typically the climate that we are more than anything else. These peacekeepers, I love them because they're, they're the kind of people that, um, uh, that always try and balance that aspect of truth and love. Now, not only do people create climates around them, but people also have to live in climates of people around them. People respond to those climates in a variety of different ways. When you walk into somebody who has a climate of, of, let's say, drama, you respond to that in a certain way, right? You're almost driven to, oh, here we go again. You know, everything, the sky's always falling. This person always drives, always jumps uh, off the cliff. It's always a big deal. And we have a tendency to respond to the climate of those around us. Like my family that gets on the plane, and then we get off in California, we respond to the climate that we're in. People react sometimes to the climate that others give off. We're seeing this a lot lately, by the way, these days, and sometimes this reaction, this response is bigger than life. Like it's not regulated, it's not even normal a lot of times. I don't know if you've noticed, but typically the climate that we're in right now is drama. Drama is the climate of the world. Every little thing becomes a huge thing. Every little comment becomes a huge comment. Every little uh, word that you speak becomes a huge thing. So I turn on the TV and all I see day after day is protesting. Uh, these, these people that re, they're responding to something they've heard from somebody about something else and boom, the drama hits, 
the thunderstorms come and explosions. People react to the climate that others give off. And unfortunately, um, one of those is the, the protesters that we see a lot uh, these days. And, and you know what? Even if you're not protesting, we have a tendency to excuse our behavior based on the climate that other people give off. You know what I mean by that? How many times have you used this phrase? You make me so fill in the blank. What is it, mad, angry, sad, whatever it is? Now, let me just ask you a very logical question. Is it possible for you to make me angry? Nope. How is that even possible? Think about that. Can you make me angry? Nope. Can you make me happy? Nope. I choose whether or not I'm going to respond to your climate by being angry, by being happy, or by being sad. I make that choice. But we're so used to these words, we don't even analyze it anymore. Instead, we think it's very logical for us to say, no, yeah, you can make me angry. If I had the ability to make you angry, I also have the ability to make you joyful. Which one's easier to do, do you think? It's probably easier to make you angry, isn't it? The truth of the matter is, I don't have the ability to make you angry. I don't have the ability to make you sad. I don't have the ability to make you do anything. Now, and that's the same thing as me saying, you have caused me to steal somebody's car. <laughs> well, you have caused me to do that. That's my choice. I have chosen to do that. You drive me to uh, drink, whatever it is. Those are, those are not proper statements. Think about it. You make that choice based on the climate you walk into. Did you know that Christians are instructed by God to create a climate around them? And the climate that we are, create, that we are created to create around us is meant so that we can influence others who come into our world, come into our climate that we're giving off. And this brings us to the next big beatitude that Jesus gives. And here it is. Blessed are the, what does it say, church? Peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Notice it does not say peacekeepers, but it says peacemakers. In other words, I somehow do have the ability to make peace so that people who come into my climate are influenced by that and they receive an attitude, a climate around me that is peaceful, that is one that is described as peace. Jesus calls us Christians to come into the kingdom so that we can be peacemakers. And in this way, we will be called sons and daughters of God. That's a weird blessing afterwards. So I have five, five in my family, four girls, four little ones. And they live their lives just like you do. And my prayer for them and my hope for them and my instructions to them is always, let's be peacemakers. I want them to be able to create a climate around themselves where they're constantly peacemakers. And the reason is, I would like for this whole church to be peacemakers. Uh, I'd like for every one of them, I'd like for every Christian to be a peacemaker. I'd love to live this one out, this beatitude out, so that we can teach the world what it means to live peacefully in a chaotic world. I love that. But quite frankly, none of you belong to me. Those four do. 
And so when I go home, I look at them and I say, listen, here's the deal. I'd like for every Christian to be a peacemaker, but you guys especially have to be peacemakers because you have my last name. You belong to me. And every Jarvis, no matter where you go, is going to create a climate of peace so that we can be, so we can bring the kingdom of God to a world of chaos. And do you know where the hardest place to begin working out that climate of peace is? In your home. <laughs> it's, in, it's right in your backyard. That's the hardest place. It's like this is your battlefield with the people that you love the most because they get under your skin so easy, don't they? And it's like a family reunion, oh, not again, right? Because you know Jim's gonna be there and he's drama all the time. Or you know Sally's gonna be there and she'll sit on her duff and not do anything and criticize everybody else the entire time. She's a typical spectator. And you're thinking to yourself, the only ones I'm gonna be really attracted to at our family reunion are those who are peace makers. And so you're, you're attracted to them because who wants the drama? Who wants the laziness? You want somebody that is able to kind of balance out life, have a normal conversation, not blow their top and not blame everybody else around them. I want that for my family. So there needs to be peace in my family first and foremost. But I got to tell you, Jesus says to us, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. In other words, if you belong to Jesus Christ, that's his desire for you too. You wear the name of Christ. He wants you to bring peace into a chaotic world because you bear his name. If you want to be identified as a son and daughter of God, you got to be a peacemaker. Why? Because Jesus is a peacemaker. It's what he does. It's what he does best. And when we become Christians, when we become followers of his, he says, now you have my name. Go into chaos and bring peace. We've been changed by God. And so we bring that peace to others. Let me give you one verse that illustrates this so magnificently. It's in Ephesians 6 and verse 15. And it goes with the armor of God. Guess what your feet in the armor are shod with? Guess what you put on your feet? You put on the gospel of what? Hmm. Do you realize when you take the gospel into the world, by the way, these shoes were made for walking, you get it? That's why the gospel goes on the shoes. The gospel is not the shield, the gospel is not, well, the word of God is the sword, but the gospel, the thing that changes people's lives, the good news, that goes on your feet because you're supposed to walk with it into chaos and bring peace. That's why the gospel is called the gospel of peace. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that good? Jesus says, because we've tasted the peace that he brings to our lives, we're meant to inject it into the lives of others in this chaotic world. That's the thing I love about Jesus. He empathizes with us best. He doesn't look at us and say, you know, you guys are all messed up and I'm not, so let me talk down to you a little bit. Instead, when he talks to these people, he knows that they're being oppressed by Rome. He knows that their lives were constantly ruled by others. He knows that they were being robbed and abused by the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day. He was very aware of the outside influences that were constantly making their lives miserable. And when Jesus talks to them, he says, I can see your I can see your challenges. I can see the turmoil your lives are in, but you can still have peace. 
We live in a world of chaos, not because any one of us really loves chaos, but because every one of us is so used to sin. It is what comes natural to us. And Jesus empathizes with that. He says, you've got a problem, I'm here to help. Every one of you, natural reaction when you're attacked or your natural reaction when you walk into a drama climate or your natural reaction to, to walking into a spectator climate, these lazy people around you, your natural reaction is to blow your top, is to react to that climate. And Jesus says, I know that that's your natural reaction, but I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. You can be different. And Jesus... You know, it's almost like these days we're looking for opportunities where we can be offended. <laughs> Have you noticed that? I was putting together this message and I was thinking, yeah, I wonder how many illustrations I can find of people being offended today. So I put it in my search browser. Holy cow. I mean, there were so many illustrations I, I could choose from. I chose none of them. I only chose one. And here it is. Because this is so perfect for the world in which we're in. That one. One person has a problem with something that they heard from somebody else or some news organization that is dedicated to telling the truth about everything that they report, tongue in cheek. Or they read it on the internet and you can believe everything on the internet. And so they get together and, and soon it becomes a, a, a project that nobody really is thinking about anymore. Nobody's thinking, is this the best way to get our point across? Is this the best way for us to make our voices heard? And we live in a world where it says, yeah, absolutely. What do we wanna do? Whenever the bomb falls, that's when, whenever the greasy wheel is heard the most, that's when it gets the attention. And I would beg to differ. In fact, I would say that if you introduce Jesus Christ to somebody, you'll get a lot further, a lot faster. You'll find peace between two people that you'll never get any other way. This is one illustration. You, I guarantee you'll see another one this week or two or three. Mob, they call it mob mentality for a reason. Eventually people just stop thinking and they start reacting. And you could say you're doing it out of love all you want, but when you carry a club in your hands, you gotta prove that to me. Or how about this? Here's another one. This is so good for where we're at today. So there's a little boy playing on the playground with his friend because they had just come back from, spring, or from summer break. This is in California at a charter school and the boy had a friend. I don't know what the friend's name was. It wasn't in the uh, article, but his friend uh, had just come back from the summer as well and they were playing on the playground. They were in kindergarten. And while they were playing outside on the playground, he looked over his friend, and let's call him Eric. I don't know what his name was, but we'll call him Eric. So he yells over and he says, Eric, throw me the ball. And Eric gets really ticked off, really mad. Goes to the principal, says to the principal, he called me Eric, he's bullying me on the playground. Well, Eric, parents, over the summer, decided to turn Eric into Erica. They're doing a transition for him because he's in kindergarten, so they've made that decision. So Eric comes back from summer break, plays with Jimmy, his friend on the playground. Jimmy says, Eric, throw me the ball, and Jimmy uh, has to go into the principal's office for an hour to be interrogated to find out whether or not he was intentionally bullying Eric or not. Comes home with tears, he doesn't know what's going on. He's in kindergarten, and his parents have to have a conversation with him and help him understand how he offended and bullied Erica. 
Welcome to 2017. Listen, it's only going to get wilder. The lid's off crazy. And it's only going to get worse. But our job never changes. Our goal as believers never changes. It's to walk into the chaos that sin will bring. The confusion that sin will bring. It's to walk into this world that where the lid's off crazy and walk in there and say, I am going to have around me an atmosphere, a climate of peace, and I will bring that with these shoes I'm wearing that contain the gospel. I will bring that into this world, and I will show this world what it means to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. The kingdom of this world will never change, but God is all about bringing peace. And that's why Jesus looks at these people and he says, I know, the, I know what the world is like. I get it. I'm still here to tell you this can be done. You can be a peacemaker. And if you are, you'll be an amazing son or daughter of God. So he says, I have something better for you. The word peace comes from the word shalom. Anyone ever heard the word shalom before? It's a Hebrew word. It just means fullness or completeness. Literally, when we look at each other, we say, hey, that means nothing, right? Other than, hey, I'll talk to you. You know, I'll say, hey. Maybe not much besides that. Well, when the Hebrews talked to one another, they had a deep meaning for it. When they said shalom, they meant, I wish the very best of completeness, that your life would be full of joy and blessings and that you would not lack for anything. Every time they said shalom, that's what they were saying. This is precisely why Jesus uses this word. God says to us in scripture that there is no rest for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. It says the way of peace they have not known. This is why Jesus came to us in the first place. In Luke 179, it says that Jesus came to guide our feet into the way of peace. Brings back that picture of the armor. Jesus came to us so that he could, first of all, make peace between us and God. That's why he went to the cross, so that that could happen. In Ephesians 2 and verse 13, it says to us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what church? He himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Do you know how many times Jesus walked into chaos to bring peace? I mean, this is the biggie. The biggie is he came into our world that is chaos and he came to bring us peace. He came to make peace between us and the Father. He had to do it by dying on the cross so that his blood would cover our sins and we could have a relationship with God. But how many other times did Jesus walk into chaos and bring peace? I started thinking about this. You could probably think of several different stories. The big one, of course, before he starts his ministry is he walks into the wilderness and he goes through the temptations. And who's waiting for him in the wilderness? Yeah. Satan was waiting for him in the wilderness, ready to tempt him after 40 days of fasting. And Jesus comes into the wilderness and even there brings peace. How about on the storm? A storm is nothing but peace, right? We just saw this big hurricane come through Texas. There's no peace there. Things are getting thrown around, broken, flooded. There's no peace in the middle of a storm. And Jesus is one of the worst storms on the Sea of Galilee. And the people, are, the people that he's with, the disciples, they happen to be, we're all freaking out on the boat. We're going to die. We're going to die. What's Jesus doing? Sleeping in the boat. They come down and say, how can you possibly sleep? I have complete peace. God's got this. 
So he comes up and he calms the storm. Then he looks at his disciples and he said, you had every right to freak out. True or false? No, he false. He looks at him and he says, why are you freaking out? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus constantly walks into crazy chaos and brings peace. How about the woman caught in adultery? Do you remember that story? That was, that was a chaotic mess. You got, you got all these religious rulers holding stones in their hand. They're going to they're going to carry out the law, which says if somebody's found in adultery, you stone her right there and then. So they bring her into the middle. They throw her in the middle. They all get stones. They're ready to take her life. And they look at Jesus and they hope to trap him because they want a rock in his hand. If they can get that, they've got him on their side. He's a judge like we are. So they hold out the rock to Jesus and they say, look at this woman. Join us. And what does he say? Do you remember? Okay. Let him without sin cast the... And what do they do? They all drop it and they walk away. Brilliant. And then he looks at the woman, he says, where are your accusers? And she looks around and out there and said, neither do I accuse you now, go and sin no more. Jesus constantly was a peacemaker in the middle of a chaotic situation. The biggest one of course was a cross. That was a mob. It lasted for almost two days. And people were spitting at him and pulling his hair out. They yanked his beard from his face. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They made him walk with his own electric chair, his own cross, through the streets. They whipped him. They beat him with the hopes that they wouldn't have to crucify him. That didn't work. Only the Jews could call for his blood, and they did. They took him up, and they crucified him. And even when they put the nails in his hands so that he would die, there was no coming down from a cross. What did he say when they put the nails in his hands? What did he say when they put the nails in his feet? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus constantly brought peace to chaotic climates. Sometimes people responded and sometimes they didn't. But I want you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he asks you to be his peacemaker in the world in which we live, to bring peace in our own lives. You may think to yourself, I don't have the capacity to do that. Join the club. I've got people that I hang out with, it's like constant drama all the time. Drama, drama, drama. Or, or constant spectators. And you're thinking to yourself, come on, just put your hands to the good work. You'll like it. It'll be fun. No, nah, I don't want to do it. Criticize always and never participate. You may think to yourself, I don't have the ability, I don't have the capacity to bring peace to this chaotic world. I would say you do. And here's how I know that. Jesus says it to us himself in John 14, 27. I want you to read this one with me, all right? Because it really nails it home. Here we go. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isn't that good? If you want a peace that passes understanding, you need the peace of Jesus. His peace, he leaves with us, not as the world, but as he gives to us. The world tells us to fight, to rebel, to destroy, whatever it takes to maintain our rights. You ever wondered why the counsel of this world is so often wrong? <laughs> Has that ever, have you ever sat down and thought to yourself, that doesn't sound right at all. It's typically wrong. And it typically goes against God's word. Christians can demonstrate an atmosphere of peace 
just like God demonstrated it. And by the way, you're thinking to yourself, Craig, you don't know the people I know. Maybe. But you don't know the people that God knows. Do you know who God brings peace or offers peace to? Do you know who God invites into his climate of peace? Sinners. Does he invite the sinners that are likable? Sure. Does he invite the sinners that are, eh, they're all right? Sure. Does he invite his enemies? Sure. And when he asks us to be peacemakers, he invites us to do the same, to bring peace in an active way. This does not mean to ignore something and hope it goes away. That is not how we keep, that's a peacekeeper, all right? And there is no keeping peace because there is no peace. You can't keep peace where there's no peace. You must inject it in a loving and gracious way. We're peacemakers, not peacekeepers. So Christians walk into difficult situations and we do it so that we can bring peace. Last thing, there's a better way. And here's the way. Romans 14 verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and, what's the next word there, church? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Jesus walked into the chaos of this world to bring peace and we are called to do the same. Not because we want to perhaps, but because it's in our DNA. We belong to the family of God. And so we act like he does. We don't ignore situations, but we walk into them and we bring peace. Well, Craig, what about when Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. I'm here to bring a sword. Every situation, I'm bringing my sword. Eh, That's not the point that he was making, see. When he was talking about that, he was saying, listen, if you're gonna be reviled, and if people are not gonna like you, don't let it be because you're a moron. Don't let it be because you're just not a likable person. Don't be because you're just being obstinate or, or difficult. If people choose not to like you, so be it. But let it be because of Jesus, not because of you. If people choose not to hang around you and not to be your friend, it should only be because you're loving them like Jesus loved them. So it's important. If your life is going to create discourse, let it be because of Jesus, not because of you. Jesus may prove to be divisive at times, and sometimes that happens. But we are never given that doorway to walk through. We are never called to be divisive. All right, I have one caveat. You might look at me and you say, okay, Craig, we're supposed to be peacemakers. Does that mean we never go to war? What if the country goes to war? We should never do that kind of thing. There are three areas of authority that God gives to us. Three areas of authority and we are meant to follow each one of these areas of authority because they are under God. One of the great errors of Christian thinking is not distinguishing properly between the role of government, the role of the church, and the role of the individual. So let me just clear this up before I close. God gives three areas of authority, government, church, and individual. The government is responsible to establish peace for its citizens. If the government declares war in order to maintain or find peace, then we obey the government because the government is given that authority under God. The government is responsible to God for what they do. 
And if we don't agree with what the government is doing, we can leave. And if we can't leave, we've got to learn to live with it. All right? First, how would I, why would I say that? Because Jesus never went to a Roman soldier and said, drop your sword. Never. Instead, he preached peace to those who were carrying the sword for Rome. Okay, two, the church is responsible under God to establish peace for its members. If they agree that discipline is, an, is, is necessary and, and, and has to be carried out in order to maintain peace in the church, then we as a church agree with that church because we are under their authority. Well, Craig, what if we don't agree with it? Same thing as with the government. You can always leave. That is your choice. You have the option to leave if you just can't live with it or you think it's done wrong, or hopefully you'll come and talk to me or, or one of the leaders in this, in this situation. That is the mark of a healthy church, is that we chat with one another and we share our thoughts with one another and we do it in a loving and peaceful way. But if something's being done, you say, I just can't agree with it, you do have the right to walk away, but not to pick up a club and attack your pastor. <laughs> That would be not peacekeeping, all right? Not even peacemaking, it wouldn't even be peacekeeping. The Bible gives us clear guidelines on this and it gives it to us so that we don't mess up because this is an easy one to mess up. There are clear guidelines in the New Testament. So if you have a problem with somebody in the church or with the leadership of the church, there are several different passages in scripture that tell us exactly how to operate. And we operate that way because the church is under the authority of God. He gets to say how we behave. Third, individuals. This is where all of us land, even those who are leading in the church or working as government leaders. All of us as, as individuals are respons to, responsible to be agents of peace in this chaotic world because we are part of God's family. No bitterness, no grudges, no malice, no bad intent. You don't get to do that because you belong to God's family. It's in your DNA to bring peace into chaos, not to join in with them. So you might say, well, Craig, somebody really has taken advantage of me like several different times. I've got to hold a grudge against them. <laughs> not in your little climate, because when Jesus was asked that question by Peter, it's, Peter said, okay, Jesus, I got a question for you. This guy ticked me off like seven times. Should I forgive him all seven times? Jesus answered, what? Yeah, seven times, and then times it by 70 more. In our area, in our arena, in our climate, we are called to be peacemakers individually because that's in our DNA as followers of Jesus Christ. That is why the scripture says, as much as it depends on you, bring peace. Listen, broken people do broken things. Welcome to the world. Broken people do, bro who's not broken here? I'd love to meet you, you gotta, you gotta help me because I'm pretty broken. Broken people do broken things. But redeemed people do redeemed things. So even though you're broken, if God has redeemed you, you have the ability to have peace, to bring it into this world, to have a peace that passes this world that the world does not have. How can you possibly say that, Craig? Well, you must not have ever read these passages in Scripture because there's so many of them. Do you realize how many passages of Scripture tell us how to inject peace? Here's, here's one of the favorite ones. A soft answer turns away what? Soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words or harsh words 
stir up anger. I, list, I literally thought, I can think of like a million verses to put here. And I opened my Bible to Proverbs and I came across like 20 like that. And I thought, I'll just put some of the favorite ones up here. These are all Proverbs on how to inject peace into chaos. Somebody comes at you and they're just, ah, they're just mad as I'll get out. You know what you're supposed to do? Give them a, what kind of answer? Soft answer. Does that come naturally? Why, because you're broken? Yeah, exactly. But if you have been redeemed by God, you have the ability to give a soft answer in the middle of a harsh conversation. There's so many verses. Here's another one, James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to what church? Quick to hear, slow to what? Speak and slow to what? Anger. 